Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and I'm talking with Jim Shea, founder and CEO of DeepSig. And we're going to talk about leveraging machine learning for RF interference detection and how the industry will benefit from that. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Pat. Great to meet you. So DeepSig is using AI to kind of radically improve the performance of security of 5G and IoT and other wireless systems, which is a hot area these days. So let's start off with uh, how are regulations and spectrum planning ensuring a reliable network operation? Kind of step back and look at that. Well, you know, a lot of uh, use of spectrum now is for dual use applications or taking over old incumbent uses. So we have things like the CBRS band that was usually used, uh, primarily used in the past for Navy radar applications. And what we've been able to do is been able to reuse it for uh, five, 4G and 5G applications by setting up ways of sharing that spectrum. So when the Navy's not using it, we're able to go take it over. And, you know, there are many areas, other areas in the frequency band that are lightly used. And by proper frequency coordination, we can repurpose those for you know, highly important communication systems such as 5G and other applications. So regulation by looking what's needed and by how to, how to coexist with other uh, users is a great way to, to gain more spectrum for use. Yeah, it's a valuable resource in the cellular world. So anything that's available, we, we would actually use. <laughs> yeah, I know people are paying you know, tens of billions of dollars for the spectrum that was formerly just uh, laying dormant. So what about the recent issue with the 5G C-band and the commercial airline altimeters? Can you tell us about how that came up and how it's being resolved? Yes, you know, that, that was very surprising to me. I mean, you know, the FCC actually started auctioning that spectrum in September of 2020. And then I started seeing a lot of things by the FAA in 2021 about the problems that we're going to have with, with these, uh, you know, altimeters or radio altimeters, they're called. And, um, you know, this is an example where better coordination could have really solved this problem. If you look at the requirements for these altimeters around airports, they're usually only in conditions below 200 feet cloud ceilings, which doesn't occur that often. So, you know, you think you'd be able to go in and, you know, work with the providers ahead of time to come up something like the SAS that's used in CBRS to avoid this problem. But the FAA evidently didn't do that. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think now they're, they're finding out ways of correcting this. You know, several of, of, of people actually approached us and says, well, what, what could DeepSig do to solve this problem? And we have a product, OmniSig, that detects and classifies signals very rapidly in milliseconds. And in fact, we thought we could actually identify the manufacturer of each altimeter to understand its characteristics. But then after looking a little bit longer, we realized that every airplane is emitting its GPS position once per second. And it would be a lot easier just to use a $500 receiver from Garmin and implement you know, this fix whenever an airplane's near it. So we think they'll come up with uh, solutions uh, basically by reducing uh, you know, the power of 5G systems in the C-band near airports, and they will be able to coexist. But uh, with better planning, though, that could have been done ahead of time, much as like what was done with the CVR span. Yeah, it sounds like they had plenty of time and the carriers kind of had to force the issue by turning it on because they were delayed many times, I believe. They were exactly. And they, they were quite accommodating to that, I think. So how can the industry better understand the RF environment and intermediate knowledge when there are interference threats like this or in other spectrum areas? Well, you know, um, the test and measurement market, you know, there, there's many great vendors and a lot of what they do is they, they can capture the RF spectrum, but it's just too much data. And that's where we think AI comes in because products like what the products that DeepSig make can classify uh, you know, 100 megahertz of spectrum, every signal present in, in three to four milliseconds. 
prior techniques would take seconds, minutes, or hours to do the same thing. And then what you can do is then you can use standard analytical tools uh, to go look just for anomalies. So engineers can, can concentrate on what's unusual in those spectrums, not what's known to be there. And when you have these users that don't frequently use the spectrum but have important functions, sometimes you don't realize they're there, but by looking for periods of time, say weeks or months, you know, just monitoring, you can notice all these unusual signals out there and only have the engineers focus on those and use that information as part of their spectrum planning efforts. So how is machine learning being applied to RF detection applications? And by the way, do you distinguish between AI and machine learning as two different things? Some people kind of blend them together and other people are like, oh no, there's definitely a difference. So we, we aren't into making there a huge difference, but we say AI is more of replicating a human function where machine learning very often is just doing something with statistics and nonlinear processing that's very difficult to do with, you know, standard engineering tools. So, you know, AI actually has been used in signal classification for a long time, but it was kind of the classical AI. Engineers would go in and they would look at, you know, uh, pulse parameters. They would look at, um, you know, uh, different types of statistics and then feed it into just a neural network and let it kind of classify after it's been trained. The difference has been what is called deep learning. And with deep learning, what you do is you actually learn from the data. And this was really, you know, pioneered in the image recognition area where, you know, traditional image recognition was about 85% accurate, which is almost worthless. Um, but by learning from the data with these deep neural networks that have many layers, we now have accuracy of 99%, which is actually better than what people can do in many circumstances. So my co-founder, Dr. Tim O'Shea, realized this and realized we could apply this to signal detection classification. So by doing this, we can detect signals um, that are in dense environments that have many other signals, and we can do it much faster than conventional techniques. So this is opening a whole new area of, of a very lightweight because you can actually run it on a handset and, and not you know, require a lot of the computation rate. Oh, wow. Where you might not need to do it every two or three milliseconds, but once a second might be fine. And we can do that on, on, a, on a Snapdragon processor in a, in a Qualcomm handset very easily without overloading it. So it's just changing what you can really do and how you can understand the RF environment. The other key thing is traditional approaches can only look at one signal at a time. And what we've done at DeepSig is we look at a bandwidth and in one shot, we identify every signal there that we've trained for. And if we need to train for new signals, we can do that in a matter of hours rather than requiring weeks or months of engineering effort. So we can drive the new signal directly from the data rather than engineers having to go in and you know, analyzing things in this frequency domain and time domain and looking for features. The deep network by itself with the proper training data can learn that on its own. So how do you go about building a neural network model? So what we do, um, you know, most network neural network models start with convolutional neural networks. And I don't want to get into all the details of this, but they'll use layers of that. And what we found at DeepSig is we found a multi-layered approach using convolutional neural networks as a start and other networks to, to add it. But we, we, we kind of have it as, as, a, as our neural network, network that goes in our OmniSig product. But what we do is the key thing is getting training data because these, these, uh, these networks need lots of data to train. So we have a product called OmniSig Studio that lets a user train their own data. So you don't have to come to DeepSig if you wanna go learn a new signal. And what we do is we pre present a, a spectral waterfall display and an engineer can go in and uh, put boxes around signals and label them. That was the first generation product. We found that kind of tedious, especially there's a lot of signals. So what we've done in our later generation products is we've added feedback both between signals you've already classified and understand and new signals that we can automatically draw the boxes around. So it's an auto labeler. And so by doing that, what was taking hours of time to label say a 40 megahertz spectrum, we kind of do in four or five minutes. So the key thing is the pipeline. You've got the neural network, 
You've got to be able to get data in there. We take that data, we take that labeled data. And you know, labeled data is great. Um, sometimes we use synthetic data, a, a mix can be good, but we find real world data is always the best because there's a lot of impairments there. But then we go in and we augment that data. What we'll do is we'll put in, in, in uh, fading simulations, we'll add interference to it, we'll add distortion, nonlinear distortion. And by doing that, the network becomes very generalized. So it does a great job of recognizing those signals. So once we do that, you can you know, present it to a spectrum. We don't use the center frequency as a parameter at all. It's all based upon you know, the, the, the other features of the signal that the network has learned on its own. And we're able to do recognition very accurately and very quickly, uh, much faster than, than conventional approaches. So you can take all this data and develop these models and then emulate different impairments. Uh, how do you evaluate the effectiveness of the training modules? So what we do is we always withhold some of the data that we've collected. Um, and we only train against a subset of it. Then we present the, uh, the unprocessed signals that have not been used to build the model to make sure that we recognize this with high accuracy. And what the models will give you, they'll give a percent accuracy of how good they think their recognition is. So we look to make sure we're doing a good job there. And then we also spend a lot of time, once we have models of uh, traveling, going to other locations, trying to make sure they, they, they work in different environments. Sometimes we'll actually add interfering signals in synthetically using test equipment. Just we really try to beat them up a lot, you know, to make sure they're rugged. And if they don't, aren't rugged, then we go back and we retrain with those impairments and make sure that we're able to get a model that's very stable and accurate. So can you explain how AI is a powerful tool for RF signal detection, specialized or general RF awareness techs, and how users can respond to threats to the network? What are the key performance indicators? So, you know, um, key performance indicators is a great term. So one product or project we're working on right now is how to protect private 5G networks, particularly in industrial settings. So what we do there is most base stations output KPIs, you know, bit error rate, what the things are doing. And what we're doing in some of these environments is we're synthetically adding interference to see, can we detect the interference sources before they affect the 5G uh, KPIs? And this is very important when you wanna get rid of, like, for example, like Ford is doing, they wanna get rid of all cables in their plants. Um, and and Deere, John Deere has also said the same thing, where they wanna be able to go in and just go wireless. Well, to do that, you have to make sure that link is, is always on and always uh, rugged. So that's one application. The other application we've talked to some people, on the defense side, you have threat warning. You know, are there adversaries around there? Are they suddenly changing their operating modes? We can see that by because we're looking at all signals at once. We're not just looking for specific signals. We can see just the whole environment of how that's changing. So what we find is OmniSig outputs uh, either a JSON stream or a stream in a format called syslog. And these can be used in standard tools such as Splunk or Kibana, which are uh, you know, uh, tools for analyzing data that are used in cybersecurity, they're used in, in financial applications, anything that has a time series. And you can train these tools with their own toolkits to look for anomalies and unusual situations. And that's what we let the, the engineer do. Rather than looking at all the data, trying to look at every signals in the environment, they can just look at what's unusual, what could be threats to either you know, physical threats or performance threats to their networks. And that's how we see AI really changing the way things are done. And I can imagine this would increase the security of the wireless networks. Are you able to detect that and help in that area? Absolutely. Um, in fact, we're talking to uh, some large um, providers of web services that want to know, has something, a wireless bug been put into their facility? Well, we can go tell them, they see all this, this emanations from their machines, but are there, is there structured data there that could be of, of a threatening situation? Um, so that, that's just one example of where you can adapt this technology very quickly. You know, we, we kind of view ourselves a 
as a software component vendor, and we like to work with partners that have you know domain understanding in all these different areas. So we can give them that AI uh, wireless capability, and then they can use their understanding to apply it to to come up with an end solution very effectively. Well, there's a lot of uh, capabilities here. Very interesting. So where do you think this technology is heading over the next few years? So I think it'll get better and better. And as I said, we've tried to make it very lightweight so you can incorporate it into products. We see the spectrum sharing finally coming to the fore and being used dynamically. We think uh, as 6G evolves, um, we will be able to actually learn new waveforms based upon what we observe in the environment to get much higher capacities and make your the whole cellular infrastructure far more um, you know, efficient. You know, 5G is kind of a, an improved version of 4G. We use the same waveforms with the same peak to average power limitations that make amplifiers inefficient. With machine learning, we've already demonstrated with some experiments, we can learn waveforms that are far more energy efficient. And, you know, uh, you know, 5G, one of the complaints is it uses too much power. And we really are trying to develop ways through current implementing ways of 5G and actually moving into other communication areas of reducing power consumption and making them greener, more environmentally, you know, compatible technologies. Well, thank you very much, Jim, for talking to me today about leveraging machine learning for RF interference detection and how that will benefit the industry. You've expressed some uh, great ideas here, so I hope to have you back again in the future to get an update. To our audience, you can find out more podcasts like this at podcast.microwavejournal.com, and we thank you for listening today.